You are Locked On Browns, your daily podcast covering the Cleveland Browns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Uh, Good evening, guys, gals, boys, girls, everybody. Uh, We got uh, Tampa Bay Bucks ultimately played the game of cards they were never going to win, and today they basically folded. And it's out there now that Gerald McCoy is going to be released. So, obviously, we're going to get to uh, a lot of focus here because this is something Pete and I have been harping on for about two months or so. Um, We're going to get into your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound here on Locked on Browns. Um, Brought to you tonight by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there. Do that. Get rewarded. Obviously, we appreciate the sponsorship as we cruise on in through here with Locked On Browns. Obviously, guys, never forget the hands-free, whether it's the car, whether it's Alexa at home. Play podcast, Locked On Browns. Have the latest episode brought up for you. Uh, We've been mentioning this, and it it always seemed pretty obvious. Um, Look, Tampa Bay, as much as Pete may want to say, no, there's more. They're going to suck. They're not good. I don't care that the receivers are good. They don't have a quarterback. We're not sure if they have a running back. They drafted Devin White. Might, might turn out to be a fantastic selection. And with Gerald McCoy leaving, Devin White might get 175 tackles this year because he's the only guy there that can do anything. But there's no reason you pay a guy $13 million at 30 years old for a team that's not going to go anywhere. Uh, it's hard to move him because what is the appropriate compensation coming back? Everybody's, you know, there aren't many, nobody's going to take on the money he's making. Everybody would take it with a, well, look, I want a 48 to 70 tower window to renegotiate. And, you know, and the other problem is, is if they hadn't, if they were serious about trading him, you can't, you've got to do it before the draft. You can't get to it afterwards, which is what Tampa did. And this is what's leading to this year. Um, there's several avenues. We're going to go into this in the player. And obviously there's going to be competition here. But uh, if you guys don't know of the video, go last year during Baker's draft cycle. Go to... Uh, YouTube, check out, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield, Gerald McCoy video. Uh, Gerald McCoy comes back to campus, kind of sees all the changes within the program. Keep in mind, Gerald, you know, was drafted in 2010 as the number three overall selection. So, obviously, it was a big difference for him going back eight years later and, you know, everything that changed. And so, there's some history there. Baker, make the stinking call. Um, John, make the call. Guys, get the money ready. I don't care if somebody's got if somebody's money's got to be turned into a signing bonus, whatever. Do what you got to do. This is a must-have because we, we've talked a lot about what you can do with this defensive line, but you add one more major player to it, and a guy like Gerald McCoy, it's it, it goes from really, really, really good to almost really, really scary. Look, I mean, if you if you were to add Gerald McCoy to what the now they have arguably the best defensive line in football, uh, they have uh, a really good case along with San Diego. Or, Los Angeles Chargers as the best set of defensive ends in the league. Uh, they've got Ingram and, and Bosa. The Browns obviously have Miles Garrett and uh, Olivier Vernon. Plus, they have Jannard Avery coming off the bench as another guy. Uh, their defensive tackles front line. Uh, Larry Ogunjobi is very good, uh, even if he's not as proven uh, as maybe he he could be. Uh, and then Sheldon Richardson, who is very good. Uh he, he may not have the accolades, but he's a very, very good football player. Add Gerald McCoy to that mix, and they would have six guys who are really good. And if they if they do it correctly, and this is a big challenge with that, is they should quite literally always have four of those guys on the field at any given time, uh, unless it's a blowout and there's no point. Four of those six guys should always be on the field, meaning that the Browns should have a star-studded really dominating potential effort out of their defensive line every single meaningful snap of the game, short of in the case of injuries. But if you're talking about coming out week one, that is terrifying. The idea that you could have that much talent and, again, managed correctly, uh, would mean they're fresh constantly, which is just terrifying. Well, the thing is, is you're going to take five guys and consider them all starters. And so basically you could have every one of them play 80% of the snaps. Um, the other thing it covers with you is, look, Olivier Vernon's missed a little time. You know, Miles, a little bit of rookie year, obviously didn't miss any last year. But the thing is, McCoy comes in, and Pete, this is one of the things we talked about, and it, it's 
and this is where it's still a shame because Sheldon Richardson, as it all went down, you know, Odell's name dropped in the whole mix and everybody kind of forgot. But one of the things we talk about with Sheldon Richardson was is he's not just a defensive tackle. He's played stand-up edge. He can play D-end. So with the five, first things first, if any of the full, any of the five need a week where they can't go, you can put in McCoy, kick out Sheldon Richardson. Uh, if Larry can't go, you've got McCoy. So you can play McCoy and Sheldon and Miles and Olivier. If Olivier can't go, you can kick you can kick Sheldon out. It's such a perfect perfect match. And a little here on Gerald McCoy. Um, his overall grade last year, uh, uh, PFF wise, seventy eight point six. 81 as a run defender, which is probably what you would want more of him. You want to continue to develop Larry Ogunjobi. If it ends to the point where you can't afford him and he, he, he move, you move on from him, that's stuff you just got to deal with. But you know, for the sake of the kid, you're going to do him right. So maybe it's not going to be you know late. But it's not like Gerald McCoy can't pass rush. It actually was 67% last year, which isn't terrible. So even whether it's a rundown, Pete, or it's passing down, you've got the flexibility between these five it doesn't really matter which of the four are on the field. No, and both Richardson and McCoy have versatility to play up and down the line. You can easily see situations where McCoy is playing next to Sheldon Richardson uh, or subbing for him. Uh, you could move both guys outside, theoretically. You, you can... Do so much with this line. Miles Garrett has his own ability to play anywhere uh, at, a, a, at a given point. So, yeah, I mean, it, it just becomes an embarrassment of riches, that the amount of stuff you can do. And certainly McCoy not having to be the focal point necessarily and having really, really good players all, all, along that front. Obviously, last year he, he did have JPP, but everybody else was pretty bad. I mean, Carl Nassau. I was, was about to say. Was, second, was their second best end because they got basically nothing out of Vinnie Curry. Uh, Vinnie Curry went down there for nine months and is already back in Philly. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, you know, they had the rookie they brought very good. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot great. Uh, and sort of, you know, been, you know, working through some really bad seasons. Uh, and and sort of going through it anyway. I mean, part of it is if you do get McCoy, you've got to have your doctors check him out, make sure he's right on that standpoint, and take care of him from that to to get him ready so you don't work work uh, work him to the point where he's useless. I mean, they, I think in some respects, as much as they they should really have those three guys playing, you know, those three defensive tackles playing about seventy percent of snaps. It wouldn't surprise me if you know. They sort of McCoy was on five, five a quarter, five to ten, you know, five to seven a quarter. Yeah, I mean, there are certainly games where you could ask him to do a lot, but I think there are also, you know, games where you may hold him back a little bit to to sort of make sure you've got the best of him. So if you are in a position to compete, that you have the best of him for when you're ready to make that move, and and hopefully the again, the, you know, if the Browns can do it what what they should be able to do and start putting some of these games away let alone ending up in you know 17 overtime games that hopefully they can be better about managing that and they've got to do a better job of just rotating their defensive linemen in general but they really can be smart about that and put themselves in a position where they're just great across the board for the entirety of the season and it's it's impossible to you know, note just how much big of an upgrade Gerald McCoy would be from Trevon Coley and various other guys that have never played on this bronze defensive line that could be counted on, you know, if, if they're going to make the team for some serious contributions. And going from that to one of the best defensive linemen for the past decade, you know, that, that you just can't. It, it's It's no different. I mean, you're going from... Trevon Coley starting last year to Sheldon Richardson, and now you're going from Trevon Coley backing up la- this this year to Gerald McCoy. Like the upgrades from those, that that guy twice is insane. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, I mean, it, 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 to say you're like double dipping on the upgrade, but it, it just feels like it's disingenuous and it doesn't really do it to the it, what it deserves. I mean, you basically brought in two Pro Bowlers to go with a young kid who, for the first month of the season last year, was 
one of the most feared interior defensive linemen in the league in Larry Ogunjobi. It's just insane in that regards. Um, we're going to get to Pete here in a second. You know, he'll talk about some of the competition that there is here with this move. But um, you know, w w with doing it, and now here's what's going to be the thing. It's it, it, And this is how you can kind of gather where the players in this league view where the Cleveland Browns are right now. Um, look, there's going to be a bunch of teams going to roll in. Obviously, Pete's going to get to that with their sales pitch of, look, Gerald, you played nine years in Tampa with not much success. So obviously, at this point in your career, you know, in the way the, the contract will work, it'll be, you know, a base salary of, I don't know, what would you say, Pete, five million or less in incentives? I, I I don't know where that number is coming from. I don't see how he's not going to get somewhere in the neighborhood of ten million dollars a year. He's really really good. Like he still he, is. Yeah. He he's, is. He is. It's, he's not like you know. It's not like you're signing the husk of Gerald McCoy. You're still getting a really really good football player. And by virtue of the fact, how many suitors is he going to have that he's going to be able to get more money? Uh, you know, unless he's just saying like look I, I i just want to compete and i don't care uh, i i think which he's going to get more tell. money than yeah but which is hard to tell with a guy who's you know 9 years and well obviously you know Gerald McCoy you know obviously 9 years and he's had to have made close to what it's got to be close to 100 million dollars Pete right yeah i mean Went he's, third he's, overall yeah yeah he's made a, a a substantial amount of money and he was in that last class of uh you know big contracts he was in the sam bradford dra draft so that that grouping of players obviously got an obscene amount of money if you uh, made it to the second contract yeah yeah and well yeah i mean even but even the, the rookie deal was was stupefying oh, uh, but, like his career earnings to this point are 118 or 110 million dollars you know might maybe maybe that might be that might be subtracting you know 12 and a half oh poor guy this coming year. so it's 100 no million. No, 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 <laughs> no 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 literally he's made 110 million dollars so far in his career uh and he's never made with the exception of two seasons on his rookie deal he's never made less than 10 million dollars and I think when he's negotiating from the standpoint of a two-year deal and a lot of suitors, I think he can get around twenty million uh, in that. And I have no problem with that. He's worth that type of money, I believe. If if you're gonna get him, think of it. The the other part of this is, you know, the the Bucks are being linked to Endomic and Sue. I, I don't know how oh. they're gonna pay him uh, unless they're gonna get you know so maybe maybe I'm dead wrong on this and both guys are gonna sign for way less money than I think they are but I, I really do think Gerald McCoy has the case to make that he's still a top of the line football player that that makes it uh, that that can make a, a substantial amount of money it's not like he's making you know the you know 14 million dollar he he made it at the highest but but I think he's more than good enough to warrant uh, a really good contract. I mean, you know, you you look at his PFF grade versus you know Sheldon Richardson, and they're basically even from that standpoint. Uh, so, and Richardson's only a couple years younger. So, uh, I think he he does have more uh, leverage than I think people are giving him credit for. In fact, he's even last year he's better than if you go by PFF anyway as a reference point. You, you know, Jerry McCoy was still way better than Richardson. Uh, Richardson, you know, part of his allure is the fact that he plays a ton of snaps uh, and McCoy shouldn't need to, but still, he is in a really good position. And and part of that may be that the Browns are willing to use their, their, their cap room as a club here and basically try to get in quickly, get it done and move on. Uh, but in terms of, you know, some teams that, that could be in the market for him, uh, Indianapolis has the most money available they've got something like uh 40 million uh available the the big question there is does he make sense from a scheme standpoint and for that i'm not entirely sure that it makes a ton of sense houston's the same issue but they've got a ton of money as well uh and they do largely play a lot of one gap so it's basically allowing them to do whatever they want but again unless they're going to shift to a forefront y you'd be effectively asking him to play the nose so I don't know if they're going to go that route. And they still have well, and even, that's him, though. But that's him, though. Am I going to take on this 
difficult trash role where I've got to sacrifice my now 30-plus-year-old body for this team, which is not even close to being the top team in the AFC South. Yeah, um, that's the thing is you've got two two AFC South teams in, that, that theoretically could make a, a push. And, and, and Adam Schefter reported the Jags, and they're as far as I don't know how they suddenly come up with the money to make that move. Uh, San Francisco has cap room, and obviously there's been talks that they're trying to move on from Eric Armstead anyway. DeForest Buckner is obviously there, but again, we have Sheldon Richardson, and we have no problem making that move, saving to to go in that. I, you know, a lot of that would come down to does he really believe that San Francisco is that close? But obviously, they've got a lot of defensive linemen there that could be really attractive. Tennessee uh, has money. I don't know if they're really a threat uh, in, in terms of that. I mean, you can make the case that they're, you know, obviously that 8 and 8, 9 and 17 that can make a push over the hump. But I don't know if they're that big of a threat in that state. Seattle. Seattle have, Seattle's always scary in these situations. Yeah, Seattle's got money to offer, uh, and they are a scheme that fits him. And obviously he could walk in there and basically start right now. Uh, they're, they're certainly viable. Uh, and then the other team that is always a threat is Philly, and, and they've got $22 million available. <laughs> well, but the problem is they, they still have to sign Carson Wentz. Um, and, you know, they have made no bones about the fact that they are going to get that deal done. And that may essentially take them out of that uh, competition. But, again, they have one of the best in the business in terms of being able to move money around in Howie Roseman. So they're always another threat, and, and, and they're another team like the Browns who has a lot of different dudes, and he could walk in there and play next to Fletcher Cox, and, and, and again, they could be another uh, Super Bowl contender. But if, if you weigh against that, all those teams, and another team Schefter mentioned, Dallas, I don't see it. They have they still have to sign. Or they, 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 they have no money as far as I can tell. I don't know how they make more money, and they still haven't signed Amari Cooper. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, Dak, uh, Byron, Byron Jones. There's a bunch of dudes there looking for that bag, and it's not going to go well if you hand it to some guy off the street. So, you know, if, if you're looking at all these teams that could potentially be in the market, you know, the Browns have a really good case to make. Uh, the, the, the biggest headache and hurdle they have to get over is the idea of not being a starter. And, and, and for all I care, they could say you're going to be the starter anyway and just say – that's how it's going to work, and we're, we'll call you the starter and bring in Sheldon Richardson on the second play of the game if that's what we have to do. But they really do have a great case. They've got enough cap room. They've got the ability to sort of finagle some money next year. Now, you know, signing Gerald McCoy may may, may speak the end of, of guys like, uh, you know, Demarius Randall may already, you know, may, may be gone going in that direction anyway. Uh, Jarvis Landry and some of those other guys become more Duke. in play as far as contracts you have to move from. Duke Johnson, uh, Duke Johnson, pack your bags. <laughs> yeah, they become, you know, Gerald McCoy then that sort of becomes, you know, a choice you're making over some other guys next year. Uh, but again, he may well be wor- worth it and more valuable than some of those guys in terms yep. of what he would bring to this team. So, you know, that's one of those situations where life is full of choices. But this 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 could represent, you know, a, a move that, you know, makes them go from, you know, a, a an up and coming perhaps contender to, you know, ranging to contender slash favorite in terms of this. And, and, and you know, if that happens, you know, Vince Young may be. Uh, crawling out of whatever hole he's in and, and mentioned Dream Team at that point. So <laughs> there really is, you know, the Browns are in really good position to make this make this play. It, it, it will be curious, to, you know, I, this has been a guy that has been brought up amongst Browns fans, you know, even in the, last, the end of last year, but certainly all free agency long. You know, it's, it's a question of how truly interested are, John Dorsey and the rest of the, the the front office, but this was always a good argument to as to why you might want to hold off on signing somebody like Eric Berry or something because you know th- this that may that could theoretically impact your ability to get a guy like Gerald McCoy now. So this this becomes a really good opportunity, and certainly you know. It, 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 the, one way or the other, this is probably going to end up being on a, a nonsensical referendum on John Dorsey 
which should be interesting to watch. But it, it really does become an opportunity for them to be take a really, really big step forward. Well, and, and, and to what I was getting, that the, what you're going to see is is how players feel about this roster, about this team. Um, could it be, you know, look, I want to go be a part of that. And and with Gerald McCoy, look, uh, obviously he's made enough money where his family and most likely his kids are going to be okay. So it's a question of, you know, A, I mean, is it ring chasing? Or B, as Pete mentioned, is it about just continuing to put, you know, Benjamins in the bank? And what it comes down to, and look, he hadn't hasn't had a lot of taste of success down there. So, and if he, and if you sell this right, and you're Browns, and you're going to jump in here and just say, look, you know, the biggest thing you can bring to us is the quarterbacks are going to die. They are going yeah. to die. So, you want to know what? Maybe if I have a hole in the linebacker position, or I'm not sure how that's worked out yet. And yeah, we still got to see how the secondary plays out. It's not going to matter when I'm bringing any four of this five in passing situations because I just don't know how you're going to count for everybody. You know, it, it just obviously there's lore, and I know somebody, I know it was Patriots people. Oh, well, well Bill Belichick always kind of liked him. Well, I, I, I don't know how that works. Well, they signed Danny Shelton. That's fine. That's all you get, Bill. No more. Make do with what you have. I'm sure you'll make it to the AFC Championship game. Hands off. But you, it'll be interesting if he, A, comes here and comes here A, early in the process, if it's one of his first stops, because it tells you he's interested, but it tells you so much about this franchise and how it's viewed about the guys who play in this league. And yes, Baker does some of that. Miles Garrett does that. Odell Beckham does that. Once you get a certain amount of, you know, you know, alpha males in a room, you know, some guys from afar look at it and they're in a bad situation saying, wow, that looks pretty good. Maybe. So it's, it's, for me, it's, it's something you got to be on. It's not a question. It's a question of whether or not he chooses you. I mean, you know, if, you know, what is it? The bachelor, the bachelorette or whatever, you want to be one of those contestants. You're in it. You're in it to win it. If you're the Cleveland Browns, because there, it didn't, we, Pete and I preach this a lot. And look, it's great to be a, an, Excellent outside pass rusher. But if you can get it done, and you can get it done from the interior, where it's two to three less steps before you are destroying a play, it just it's just a perfect, perfect thing. Uh, one of the sponsors here tonight, Untuck It. Uh, today's show is brought to you by the folks at Untuck It. Dads come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, and so should their shirts. Uh, like tall, short, slim, relaxed. Ever wonder why your father's a button... Ups look so long and baggy at the end of the day. It can be hard for guys to pull off a casual, untucked look that isn't sloppy. That's where Untuck It comes in. Untuck It is the solution that fits just right. Their shirts are specifically designed to look great, untucked, and feel comfortable at work and on the weekend. No tucking or tailoring required. Go to untuckit.com. Promo code NFL to get 20% off. And go ahead and check that out for me, guys. Pete, um, it just continues here, though. I mean, look, uh, and if you have questions at linebacker and you have questions in the secondary, you know, look, Eric Berry comes with – we always talk about insurance policies. Eric Berry, you would bring him in as an insurance policy, but Eric Berry requires an insurance policy. Uh, Linebacker, there's nobody to come in right now. And, look, I mean, I I think Christian Kirksey is – that wild card insurance policy they're looking for. Obviously, you know, talky-talky. But it just, in the grand scheme of it, this just seems such such a simple move where, look, you needed a little bit more on the defensive line and on defense, and it's Carey and it's Richardson, and it could be McCoy, whereas where Odell came in and it was just like, wow, that took care of that. Um, you know, if a left tackle became available and it maybe it was McCoy versus a tackle, and you chose to go that route, but you know, there's not going to be a quality tackle that you can come in and just tell one of these guys you're out. And it, it, those guys don't ever come available this time of year. So it, it just seems just too easy and too simple for something that you just can't cannonball into the pool, so to speak, and, and go after this guy and go after him hard. Right. I mean, the other the other ball sort of hanging out in the air right now is Trey Boston uh, and, and where he's ultimately going to end up. But, yeah, I mean, if you're trying to make a meaningful 
you know, impact move to improve your roster. There aren't a ton of options to do that. Uh, you know, you mentioned the Patriots re-signed Danny Sheldon. I think that's a smart move on their part. Uh, you know, they've got, they, they seem to have every run stopper, who, you know, who's been sort of let go elsewhere. Uh, whereas the Browns have made sort of this shift to, you know, the, the, making so much of an impact, trying to make so much of an impact with the secondary to take the pass away and having guys like Joe Schobert that the defensive line is, is going to be so focused on, you know, just killing the quarterback that you really have a good setup. And I think Gerald McCoy just adds to that what you already want to do. He's a great fit in terms of being a, you know, a guy who shoots gaps, which is what the Browns do. That's what Sheldon Richardson does. You know, the idea that you could have third and long or, you know, various situations where you have both those guys in double threes, uh, and just have them both shoot gaps or whatever. Just again, it's just a it's just a really difficult thing for offenses to sort of prepare for. The idea that you can just send so many different packages to people is, you know, it's just a bitch to deal with. And and that's sort of where the Browns are hopefully trying to get to is just being a a team that you know other teams don't want to see. And it's it's it. And that's just the thing. And look, if these teams are going to get themselves into passing situations all the time and you want it to be a truly pain in the ass move, that's what it is. And it's, you know, look, and, and now we got you in the situation you want, and guess what? And it doesn't mean that Zettel's still not an option. It doesn't mean that Chris Smith and Goss, those guys, when they get their reps, because it's going to be like stealing candy from a baby because you're going to have a bunch of winded dudes. They're going to get a limit, very, very limited amount of reps and one on ones and. It's just something that's just so simple and easy that you kind of have to get to and address in that uh, in that regards. And um, we're gonna have a really nice week here coming up, guys. Uh, guest wise, um, uh, Mr. Daniel Jeremiah is scheduled for Friday. Uh, obviously, if anybody heard his podcast today, um, maybe it was much ado about nothing. Maybe Daniel only revealed what he wanted to reveal, but he's very happy to be back and doing his podcast. And, you know, things of that nature. And, you know, look, it's, for me, I think it's a question of when, not if. Um, Because the more sniffing around and, you know, for Daniel Jeremiah, it's getting your skin in the game. Um, The most difficult thing for Daniel Jeremiah is that he's got a bunch of young kids who are settled in a community they've been in for a while. And it's really hard when you're the dad and your time is limited already because of your profession to tell your kids, look, you're going to see me even less and now I'm going to uproot you from what is your safe haven, your comfort zone, and we're going to go move 3,000 miles away, 1,500 miles away, 2,500 miles away, whatever it may be. Uh, but looking forward to talking to Daniel this week. Uh, we may have something special on the hopper for you on Wednesday as well. Uh, we got some listener questions to get here today. Um, yeah, Giovanni Ruiz, uh, a little... Uh, quote-unquote associate producer, and I always appreciate it, Gio. Always appreciate you looking out. Um, now that Gase is the football czar with the Jets, and for the time being, yeah, he is, and it seems like, you know, a lot of names are out there. The question would be Leonard Williams, but it, it, as much as I like Leonard Williams, the player, and I think, you know, a better situation, you would get more out of Leonard, Pete. It's, I think it's 14.3 this year, and I'm pretty sure when you're still on the rookie deal, you can't manipulate any of that money. So the 14.3 million cap hit comes in, but looking at what would be available from the Jets, the only guy that I would have had any interest in, obviously, you know, got shipped off to Kansas City. So uh, obviously, in regards to Geo's question, anything on the Jets that the Browns would have interest in? Um. So the thing with Leonard Williams is, at least you know, it looks like if they trade him they have to eat the entire thing uh, you know that that's that's what i'm seeing which makes it really unlikely that they'd move him like the, it's, he's got a 14.2 million dollar cap hit and well, I mean, it's yeah, all yeah. bonus it's all you know it's if they move if they move him they eat the entire thing so i don't know if that's you know that's at least that's how it's written up on 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 spot track so that really seems unlikely to do that, or they are expecting a huge return on that investment uh, to basically carry the contract for somebody on a rental. But even still, though, if you're if you're if you're Gase and, and you're in this position, 
you're not looking to go four and twelve. I mean, you know, you know, this franchise basically invested everything in you, and you're going to be a part of who's hiring. You're going to be basically in charge of hiring your bosses. You got to win. So the fact that you're going to, you know, look, I mean, there's some players on that roster I can understand where you say, look, nah, we're good. We, we can move on from him. But if he goes 4-12, and 12, it just makes the whole situation look that much crazier and shittier. They got to go out there and they got to win ball games. So you better do that with every, every guy in tow if you're the New York Jets. You've got the franchise quarterback, which is the thing every team needs most, so you're not worried about that. Uh, you signed in a receiver. You signed in Le'Veon Bell. You've got Robbie Anderson to go with Anunwa, who's on a long-term contract. You signed Jamison Crowder. It, it, it just makes no sense. I mean, if you're the Jets, you got to feel that, look, we're, we're trying to get to that 8-8, eight and 9-7 eight, and seven plateau. That's what your first-year goal should be. Otherwise, I don't know why you hired this guy and kicked the hell, everybody else out the hell of the building. So, But, you know, like Leonard, but it just seems, you know, it, it, the even before the McCoy being released, it just seems that would be the better type of move, would be the veteran guy where you're not asking him to do everything. And Leonard, the thing with Leonard is, is you could bring him in here and then you maybe are studying Larry Ogunjobi's growth, which I don't want to see happen in any way whatsoever. Larry is a fantastic player and just continuing to emerge as the years go on. Uh, We've got a couple more to get to, and we will do that. Um, guys, remember the iTunes rating reviews. It's always huge. It's always critical. Uh, draws new listeners to the show. Helps the growth of the show. Um, but Grip6 Belts. Today's show is brought to you by, partially, the Grip6 uh, group, their belts, where the goal is literally to make the best belt that has ever been made. Grip6 is an easy, thoughtful gift for dads, brothers, husbands, uncles, grandpas, and even ladies. They're starting to carry women's uh, women's collection. Ultra lightweight with no holes. No flap, and it carries a low profile with the buckle laying flat against the waist, making the belt super comfortable. A, Grip6 is the only belt with no holes, no flap, and no bulk. Grip6 has a special offer for you at grip6.com slash lock, L-O-C-K-E. Check that out, you belts, over at Grip6. said we got a couple more questions to get here today and uh guys i appreciate it i mean uh the numbers continue to you know evolve and you know a great day here today on a monday and look you guys are a huge huge part of that and this is maybe what happens when you have a team with so much promise is yes a lot of people want to talk football um even in obviously you know mid-May, which is where we are here. Um, one more from Giovanni Raviz, and this is actually funny. This kind of, you know, I know he shot this one right at me. How do people in markets like New York, New Jersey, and obviously L.A. would be another one, where eSport has, you know, usually two professional teams, how do you, you know, how do you end up choosing one or choosing the other? For me, for the most part, you know, I grew up, I was a sports junkie. If it was on, I would watch it. So, you know, Jets Giants, the best thing for me was is that one team played at one, one team played at four, whatever. It never staggered. And guys, keep in mind I'm older. It's not like I had the opportunity to watch every game on any Sunday, well before the Sunday ticket was in you know, in place. Um I had a father, I had two older brothers, obviously one of them's gone, Wayne, we still miss you. Um, they were all giants, and for me, when I started to roll deep into enjoying sports, this was the Bill Parcells Giants and Phil Sims and Mark Bavaro, and they were really, really good, and, you know, my older brothers, my father, they all enjoyed it, and then we'd go to the Jet game, and they'd get their jokes off, and they'd be like, well, 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 I wish they were better. I wish they were better. I mean, I enjoyed, you know, the Giants Super Bowls, and I... I I preferred the Phil Simms era more than I preferred the Eli Manning era. Um, you know, basketball, it was, you know, it, they all stunk at the time. Uh, the Knicks had their nice run until Reggie Miller just daggered that entire franchise and they were complete assholes in the treating of Patrick Ewing, which, you know, then about a year or two later, the New Jersey Nets traded for Jason Kidd, who was one of, Jason Kidd is probably my fa- favorite basketball player ever. So Jason Kidd was coming to New Jersey. They had a, they had they had a bunch of lottery picks, and they were all now healthy. 
So me and my boys got tired of, you know, going to like Thursday nights and, you know, whatever, singles night, whatever, and oh, you know, girls coming over and oh, my, my girlfriend thinks you're cute and whatever. I was like, guys, well, let's do something different, whatever. So we used to, uh, we got net season tickets. We went to that. We went to two finals two years in a row, obviously, with the Nets. Neither one turned out to be a W. Um, but you just kind of migrate with it. I was, when I was a kid, kid, I watched every Yankee game, every Met game. The Yankees winning kind of got tiresome. And my Met fandom now is is in the fall of, I guess I'm going to say now if it's 2019, when the Mets were in the World Series in 2015. My father-in-law had been diagnosed with cancer. They really, his heart was bad, so they couldn't do the surgery to help him. And sitting there, watch him pace around the house with every pitch, every at-bat of that World Series. It just drew me in deeper and deeper and deeper. And then, obviously, his ultimate passing on uh which would have been you know june 24th of 2016 and i remember even his wake you know we packed everything up we were driving home and me uh you know my wife and the girls or whatever you know my wife just an absolute mess and listening to brandon nimmo hit his first career home run for the new york mets and it was this night and it and my father-in-law liked him it was you know like those were the kids he would those were the players he would have liked you know the the old school the do everything you know you know he drew a base on balls and he'd run out of first base at full speed you know George those were the guys George liked and those were the guys George loved and that's where I grew up but it I think you can if you have the opportunity where you have double competition it might be a guy or two that you fall in love with that you know kind of draw your fandom to one side or the other and look right now they're an absolute freaking laughing stock as you know Ennis Cespedes apparently I fell into a ditch today and broke an ankle with multiple fractures while he's rehabbing from double heel cert. I mean, it's it's a monotony and it, it's the craziest. You you know you could sell this script to try to sell it, and they'd laugh at you and throw you out the door because nobody would freaking believe it. But that is the New York Mets, kids. That is the New York Mets. All right, what do we got here? Now this is actually an interesting one here. Let's see if I can get the tag right. Um, Stephen two. Uh, Oh, all right. I know who it is. At 2ScubaSteve7, Greg Robinson gets hurt. What's the contingency plan? Can people look at the Ruben Foster injury and then chill on carrying? Well, this is actually two-parters. Yes, it's a great question on what the contingency plan would be with Greg Robinson. But anybody who's got an issue with Odell not taking part in a voluntary practice, shut the freak up as guys are blowing out their freaking ACLs. Guess what? In voluntary practices. Terrible for Ruben Foster. Not really a great guy. And he was already going to play the first two games of this year and get no pay for it for the shit he's done. But you do not want to see a guy go down with an ACL on freaking May 20th. Uh, Right. So, you know, I did a video for this. Uh, Make sure you guys check that over at Browns Maven, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) I did a video on this. And and basically the the point is, is that Odell Beckham has been great in every NFL season he's ever played in. The only thing that's ever stopped him was injury. So whatever he's doing to take care of his body, uh, you know, you should let him because chances are he's got this thing down as far as what, what he needs to do. Um, you know, to, to, to make sure he's right. It, it, as long as he's doing that, like the you know all these people who are like desperate for him to prove something to them by grinding grinding himself in in, in every single voluntary practice aren't gonna own it when you know when something does happen. Uh, so that you know it's it's a it's a bullshit uh, contrived argument to say that you know Odell's you know not doing everything he's supposed to do this may be exactly what he needs to do um, and the to- thing is it's like he they, they think he doesn't work you don't go out there and destroy the competition week in week out when you're healthy if you're not putting in the work right so you know the the, the thing is like he's basically an all pro every time he's healthy so let him be healthy it, it, it just seems so like blatantly obvious and simple at that point. And um, uh, some of the questions here, and obviously they relate to it, um, and you guys had asked about you know McCoy, which obviously we went extremely, extremely in-depth here with. Um, I, I guess we can go with this. How about this, Pete? And I did like this part of his question is, 
Greg Robinson goes down. Now what? Um, you know, at that point, it's 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 likely going to be Kendall Lamb and Chris Hubbard as your tackles. It's just a question of which one's going to be at left. Um, if we think Lamb might be the better player, it's a good possibility. That's your dude. I mean, but you're not. It's not like you're not going to be looking, and you're certainly not going to look at Drew Forbes' six-round pick and throw him in there. Oh shit! Well, maybe not. Maybe they would, Pete. And oh, good God! And then there's the Desmond Harrison. Where you been, big guy? How you doing, Desmond? We love you. Have we told you how much we love you? Yeah. Uh, so that's you know that that would appear to be uh, what. You know that 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 appears to be the plan at this point, and 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 unless they find, you know, unless unless a guy like Drew Forbes or Brian Finian Ganofo, you know, is a revelation. Finian Ganofo. I thought it was Finian Ganofo. Damn it. Finian. Finian. Uh, then what's after it though? Ganofo. Uh, okay. Unless one of those guys is a revelation in camp, those you know the combination of Hubbard and. Uh, and uh, Lamb is is your your setup. I mean, and and it's unclear, you know, other than the fact that Greg Robinson is simply enormous, and unless he's going to play up to his sort of physical ability as a run blocker, which is hit or miss, you know, it's unclear how much of a true drop off that would be in in terms of what they need right. in pass protection. Because yeah, I mean, and as we talked about a couple of nights ago, um, what you're hoping for Greg Robinson is at worst you get Greg Robinson from last year. That's you know. If you get better, oh my God, you're thankful. Um, the other thing is, is you know, Greg Robinson never really had a nice period in his career. So could there be more? I think the Browns are kind of hoping for it, and you know, Greg Robinson and his camp, obviously, they're kind of hoping for it. Uh, let's now, Pete, with uh, you know, obviously, with the skill, and and this is something that somebody had mentioned is, is you know, how do you? divvy this all up and what about the what are the pressures on baker because there's not going to be a set where there shouldn't be a guy baker is going to have complete and utter trust in that if it's their number to be called they're going to make a play so i mean as much as we love baker the pressure the pressure is going to amp up on him and it's not that i don't think he's okay with it but it's it's going to be a lot on him because and any given play, his you know tools, weapons of disposal, are sick and ridiculously good. Yeah, uh, look, it, it becomes you know Baker Mayfield's sort of the maestro of the offense. You know, finding ways to create and get guys the ball so they can make plays after the catch, and you know that becomes a situation where Baker Mayfield is good. And, and doing the right things, but he may not get all the credit uh, because guys are doing so much after the catch that they get more of the credit, which is fine. You know, he's he's going to get a ton of credit anyway. But you know, you allow a guy like Callaway or Beckham or Dujoku or somebody to make a play after the catch, and you know, take a you know a couple yards slant and house it. You know, it's still going to be seventy yards or whatever it is in the in the stat sheet, but it's it's a simple play. Where the, the offense is just so dangerous. Oh, and no doubt about it. And obviously, Callaway is you know similar to that as well. Um, you roll in you know the, the simplicity of Higgins and just how you know smart he is. And obviously, Jarvis, if you're going to get just make it a bunch of slot reps, and then there's David, and then I, I can't even with Nick and Kareem and uh, Pete. Have we missed anything? Yeah. Uh, oh boy, here we go. Well, you're confident we with it. We, we, we absolutely have. I mean, you, you talk about your Mets fandom and how it suffered a broken ankle on a, a tractor, which, by the way, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the most believable, how much do you believe that's actually how he hurt himself? Um, I grew up on a horse farm, and me and my brothers, it was we all took our turns cutting the grass. Thankfully, we had a tractor. Um. The only thing I can think, Pete, is if you possibly fell off a tractor, there may have had to been something involved if you did fall off the tractor. So, you know, are you pounding some sort of alcohol of choice while you're on said tractor? Um, no, falling off a tractor, I'm not buying, Pete, in any way possible. 
Yeah, I, the the question is if it involved any farm equipment at all, or you know if there's an, a more embarrassing. He loves his horses. Yeah, if there's a more embarrassing version of events where, you know, uh, either it's... It's not like know, JPT pers- where you can't lie about it being 4th of July and your hands all mangled and burned and people can put two and two together and see what happened. Um, I'm going- yeah, it's one of those where you, you question if it's something involved, you know, something... Something that would otherwise maybe avoid some contract guarantees or something along those lines that he's covering for, or just well, he's getting get, he's getting it paid regardless. The question is, do the Mets write the checks or do the insurance company write the checks? Guaranteed, baby. That's the joy of MLB. But uh, yeah, another another big day for your Mets. Yeah, it's, you know, and just you know, you know, I mean, because things look so promising after the weekend in Miami when you get swept by maybe one of the worst teams of the last decade, possibly. So yes, but no. Um, falling off a tractor into a hole on your ranch feels an awful lot like the dog ate my homework, Mrs. Crabtree. And this is kind of where I'm at here. Um, do want to thank all of these sponsors: Hotels.com, Untucket, Grip Six Belts. Obviously, appreciate all of you for the sponsorship of the podcast. Um, guys, Pete's work—it's it's going well over at Browns Maven. It's showing up at some other avenues. Um, maybe this audio video sequence that he's doing is has a nice touch to it. Um, Twitter-wise, stop telling on yourselves. And here's the thing I have is I'm more comfortable talking to the people who are straight-up dicks on social media than some of you that try to pretend that you were white knights and preach about things that you were absolutely lying about. <laughs> Sometimes so, in the same week. Yes. So, look, here's the thing. I don't care, I, you know, it, it, for me, it kind of goes down to uh, the Billy Joel lyric, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. But you want to know what? I know what I'm getting if you're an asshole. If you try to play both ends of the fence, I don't know what I'm getting. So I'd rather, I'll appreciate the asshole for being true in himself and being the asshole. And I'm guilty of it at times. Never Pete, though. Pete's as sweet as they come. Pete's, apple, Pete's grandma's apple pie, guys. We all know that. But thanks for the sponsorship. Uh, Pete's work over at Browns Maven. Um, guys, it's really picking up for him. And it, you know, for him, I'm happy. Uh, he puts a lot of effort in what he does. Go ahead. You got something, Pete? No, I mean, uh, right now there's uh, the piece I initially wrote for today. It was just talking about Antonio Callaway and, you know, OTAs, which I find very little value in. But stuff he did last year and decisions he's making this year are much more beneficial and then obviously uh you know obviously the the reuben foster news came out of nowhere so i sort of did a thing on that when it re- relates to odell beckham and then you know the stuff with gerald mccoy and i'll figure out something i'm sure for tomorrow. uh at some point this week i'm gonna get you know i did a thing talking about the guaranteed spots on the roster so i said i'd do you know the battles of the other the other guys on the roster so which will, give us uh, well, which will give us a talking point for one of these episodes as well, of course. Right. So, I mean, everything, you know, obviously there's stuff going on, but everything's going to be focused, you know, in terms of Gerald McCoy. I mean, as much as OTAs is fun and everybody's going to sort of talk about it, I think there's going to be uh, over a lot of that's going to be overshadowed by following Gerald McCoy and any plane he's on, any other potential team he's meeting, and all that stuff. Any, right now, I think that, any real estate agents who follow the show, by all means, you know, if you got a six foot four, three hundred guy who's looking for maybe some sort of short term rental with a California king, by all means, so the uh, you know, and uh, I'll tell you right now, if it, you know, look, we'll cover it. You sign Gerald McCoy. In my mind, I, I want to take a Rip Van Winkle, Van Winkle nap and wake up in freaking late July, take this team to camp, and let's go crack some skulls. Because I think that would just be the final piece of what would be an incredible cast to take you through this movie story journey of what will be the 2019 season. Um, well, Pete, I, I, I guess I've got no way to speak on this. Did you get to your game? Your game's final. You said I you did. Were, I, I, okay, I well, here I, we go. I, I here is the here is the Pete Smith synopsis. Who is Jarvis Landry in this scenario? 
So I watched the entire Game of Thrones final season yesterday, and then I watched the finale, you know, basically after it was on because I I, I knew if I didn't, I was going to, you know, basically have it room for me. Um, you know, the, the show is fine. I, I know there's a lot of people unhappy with, you know, how things ended. and, and, that, and I, But before I let you go, that's the thing with every TV series ending. Every fan has their idea of how they want it to end. So if they don't like it, if it didn't end the way they wanted it to, then you're unhappy. But go ahead, Pete. Um, right. I think most people are largely unhappy with the idea that basically, you know, so much of the uh, the book was condensed into such a short amount of time and they basically crammed all this stuff in. And I think some people felt it was rushed or some details were missed. I didn't read the book, so I don't have enough to, to go off, off with that. Um the thing is, like, you could do a, ten different endings with various people ending up, you know, in, in, as the king of however many kingdoms you want. Uh, and somebody's always going to be unhappy from that standpoint. I understand the criticism, and I can sort of sympathize with the idea that, you know, the, the, this, this season wasn't as sort of taken care of as well as some of the other ones in terms of just making sure everything is right in detail. Uh, I think for the most part, um, if you're trying to, you know, figure out why they, they did things the way they did, I would first, I would just say largely they, you know, if you go by based on the, the lore or whatever you want to call it, the pre-story basically reset everything to, to where everything was when the original mad King died uh, so it basically started over, and then a lot of it is some. Um, if you do some deep, you know, thought on how literature and stuff works, like Arya ends up basically becoming the exact opposite of what she was. Entirely focused on one particular goal in terms of revenge, uh, trying to kill one particular person. Basically, spending better part of over half her life focused on this one thing and suddenly when that was removed she went the complete opposite way which is becoming an explorer going from everything is geared towards this one particular goal to exploring and having no idea where it's going to happen you know couldn't be more of a polar opposite and some of the other stuff is largely just resetting to you know the idea that as much as the whole point you know this whole thing is breaking the wheel as they called it it really just set it back to where they begin at the beginning. They had six six kingdoms and the and, and Winter Winterfell was independent of itself. So you can argue amongst yourselves. I'm happy to talk about it. I'm sure there are people with more informed on this stuff than I am because they're using the uh, you know the book material to to discuss it. You know again you you can nitpick and stuff to a, a certain extent and there's some real criticisms to be had but overall i don't think there's any one ending where anyone's going to be super satisfied with it and there's some criticisms of of thing, choices they made and some weird things that were basically inferred or or lazily slapped together if you want to say that but overall uh i enjoyed the show for what it was it, you know it was a great watch uh, even if the ending wasn't super satisfying for everybody uh it's a shame that you know well, I, I should ask, I, I, you know, how was Money in the Bank? Was it as good as Game of Thrones or? You can't ask me to compare because I have no Well, no, but I mean, was, was, it, was, it, was it great in everything you, you hoped it would be? Yes, yes, it was. But oh, the other thing, though, I will go to this. Look, I know nothing about the series, and I'll be honest with you guys on that, and I've told you that to this point. But the other thing is when you have something as successful as that is you kind of leave some unopened questions because there's the always possibility of do you take it further and do you go make a and god lord if they made a movie out of this pete what are you talking six seven hundred i mean you're talking potential of a one billion dollar movie so those are avenues you have to go to with the business no uh, look i mean the is, Game there of Thrones- a, is there a possibility that it could is there enough left to spit it into a movie <laughs> The the thing that people are already speculating is is oh, the okay. idea that they would they would have a spinoff featuring Arya's the one character and her her you know supposedly exploring the unknown. If you really wanted to go down that that rabbit hole, that that could be a thing. But overall, I mean, it has done what it's going to do. I think uh, for the most part, it, 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 w- it would certainly wouldn't surprise me if you know. At some point, years down the road, if they don't come back to something to, you know, basically call, you know, Game of Thrones back for more cash, 
but the thing the thing with that is uh, you know with the author who's actually you know producing all this stuff is his health and the question of whether he not he's going to finish any of this stuff or he's going to be alive long enough for it to matter where he's going to you know be able to capitalize where they might want to do another venture but in general i mean look the the finale put up you know 19.3 million i think it was which is good enough for somebody pointed out 17 seven, the 71st yes 71st a regular season game of the nfl but what i have not seen and obviously uh, this is slightly skewed because you know the Toronto market and Canada is not reflected in Nielsen ratings. Of course, uh, they only account for the United States. But I'm more curious that of how badly Game of Thrones drubbed uh, a game which they actually tried to have it dodge uh, Game of Thrones, only to end up in double overtime, which was straight up against it. So I'm uh, that's the information I'm sort of curious about. And you know, guys, at the end of the day, nothing beats sports. Um, you don't factor in the kids. There's so much, but uh, no, it's it's always sports. It's always sports. Um, Pete's work over at Browns Maven. Uh, you follow it at Browns Maven. Check it out, uh, guys. He's been busting his butt over there. He's doing a great job, and it's nice for him to have kind of have his own thing. And I'm happy for him. Um, at underscore Pete Smith underscore. Make sure you're checking the things out over there. Feel free to tweet me about Game of Thrones, and feel free to tweet Jeff about Brutus the Barber Beefcake and Ravishing Rick Rude and all those guys. Um. One of those people is dead. I, I know which one. There you <laughs> I, go, dude. The, the you, cakes, look, the, you know something cakes. about you know something about this, and I know it when you said Spanish announce table. So that's yeah. how I know you know something <laughs> about yes, this. Yes, but here's the thing. Then I be then I got to like 15 years old, and I moved on. Whereas you're pushing 50 and and still going strong. Oh, oh pushing what? <laughs> <laughs> pushing what? <laughs> Look, I mean, the WWE appears to be, you know, along with Blue Chew, the thing that gets you going. I, 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 I think that's great. Um, no, I actually, uh, he, I've yeah, actually, I've, uh, no, but there's been people who've been on the show. Ben Axelrod, Andrea Hanks. The thing with. Beefcake, the Beefcake's still alive, isn't he? Uh, yes, actually, just got. Uh, I, I knew Ravishing Rick was dead, but I, yes. I, I wasn't sure if the Beefcake was still going. What uh, a gimmick. Yes, mom, mom, Lloyd, mom, Lloyd. Days of having the, the weird barbershop set up ringside yes. as yes. a set piece. Mom, Lloyd, Mrs. Lloyd, Mama Lloyd, my mother, was a big ravishing Rick Rude fan. We went to a oh, house. I, I, I can imagine. Oh yeah, she fit. Yeah, she was right into that criteria. Um, so. My father used to take me and my brother. You know, they used to come to it was Brendan Burn Arena. That's where that was the Nets. So you know, they would come like once a year. So my father used to take us, and then my mother came the one year because she was hoping to see Ravishing Rick Rude. The one man gang got a clothesline to the chest, hocked a loogie, and it was. And we watched it, and it was coming right at us. And here was the loogie, and it was big, and it was nasty, and it landed on my mother's. Right leg, left leg, I don't remember, but right under the pants. Skeeved the living freak out. And even my father's like, man, we probably, you might want to go to the doctor tomorrow and get yourself checked out because these guys are nasty. Um, so, But, yeah, that's kind of the way it rolled. And, and, <laughs> and just just too funny. Um, no, they should not have brought back Brock Lesnar to win last night. It's just always the thing that happens for the wrestling fans. But um, with wrestling is it's for what we do is there's really nothing you can say it was a good match, but you can't critique it because it's already fixed. These the sports that we all cover, they're not fixed, so that's what you enjoy that. Um, but like I said, you know where uh, you know where to catch Pete at and everything with that aspect. Um, the Lockdown Browns Twitter account always a follow back. You guys are fantastic. Look, we gave we gave you guys a ton tonight. McCoy, listener questions, Pete's Game of Thrones, um, you know. Bailey taking Charlotte's belt after Charlotte weaseled her way into a belt. Pete has no idea what I'm talking about, but good stuff in that. It was good. It was uh, my wrestling. My wrestling knowledge basically ends at uh, you know the Nitro Raw Wars, which were good, which were good times. And Rick, it's funny that you brought up Rick Rude because he was the one that screwed it all up because WWE used to record their Monday Night Show, and so there was a Monday Night Show that they had filmed on Sunday, and Rick Rude was on it. And then the Monday Night Raw, the Nitro showed, and there was Rick Rude live because they had accrued him and kind of created a problem. But Vince McMahon's money was able to win out at the end of the day all with all that. Me personally, 
at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Go ahead and throw a follow over there. Um, but guys, just appreciate it. I mean, look, you guys are still into it. We're going to continue to bust our butts. Um, you know, I, there's been some couple of nights taken off here. I, I've mentioned my schedule is about to loosen up. Um, look, guys, more real shit you want to talk about and ask me and Pete to include it in the show. We got no problem with it because. You know, we're getting close to where this roster is finalized. Obviously, you know, there'll be position battles and, you know, camps. And, you know, eventually in late July, we'll get to training camp. But, you know, I, you know, a lot of the stuff, it, it's there. But, I mean, we'll always talk football stuff. Maybe we'll find a way to start incorporating some early draft stuff in here. I know I'm getting questions on that, so we'll see how that plays out. But, you know, appreciate you guys thoroughly, endlessly. Um, this has been the daily delivery of all things Dog Pound, LGB on the LOB. Let's go Browns.